love, social convention, gender roles, and religion. Charlotte Bronte's most famous novel challenges ideas on all these topics, and we are here to discuss it. I'm Charlene. And I'm Mike. And this is Jane Eyre Files. Chapter 36, A Dreadful Calamity. Hello, husband. Hello, my messenger pigeon. <laughs> All right, that's a first. <laughs> I, I, I don't think there was anything else in this chapter. I, no. I, I kind of okay. reread it a second time, and she makes some reference about being a messenger pigeon. Right. So that's, so. I mean, that's what you had to go for. Yeah. This is a this is a very peculiar chapter because yep. it has it feels a little bit transitional, mm-hmm. but it also has like some really really heavy drama in it and suspense too. Yeah, and suspense. It's weird to have it. It's and it's it's unfolding in flashback, not even in flashback. It's it's as a third party person telling the story mm-hmm. rather than reliving it in real time. Yeah, I also feel like this chapter feels it feels like a penultimate chapter. Because, mm. you know, we have this and it's going to set us into uh, Jane and a reunion. Yeah. And then I mean, even though we have a couple more chapters, the reunion kind of feels like one scene, you know. But, mm. you know, we still have a little bit more to go. So this let's... Is, this let's... is the pen penultimate. <laughs> That's true. Yes. So, spark note summary for chapter 36. Jane contemplates her supernatural experience of the previous night wondering whether it was really Rochester's voice that she heard calling to her and whether Rochester might actually be in trouble. She finds a note from Sinjin urging her to resist temptation, but nevertheless she boards a coach to Thornfield. She travels to the manor, anxious to see Rochester and reflecting on the ways in which her life has changed in the single year since she left. Once hopeless, alone, and impoverished, Jane now has friends, family, and a fortune. She hurries to the house after her coach arrives and is shocked to find Thornfield is a charred ruin. She goes to an inn called the Rochester Arms to learn what has happened. Here she learns that Bertha Mason set the house ablaze several months earlier. Rochester saved his servants and tried to save his wife, but she flung herself from the roof as the fire raged around her. In the fire, Rochester lost a hand and went blind. He has taken up residence in a house called Ferndine, Located deep in the forest with John and Mary, two elderly servants. Before we get to the dramatic elements of Thornfield and whatnot, I feel like Sinjin gets one last little moment. Mm, you know? Not a great moment. Yeah, where he still gets to be that his condescending self <laughs> in that final note. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was going to ask you, you know, at the same time, you know, Jane is leaving, but you know, it's it's sort of like this romantic moment where she's like, okay, I got to go see him. But do you feel like, you know, after she, talk, she talks about what Sinjin's note said, I found myself thinking that, you know, Jane was sort of twisting the word of the Lord to suit her own happiness. Oh, okay. What, it, what? In what way? Well, like, she, doesn't she say something along the lines of, like, my spirit is willing to do what is right, mm-hmm. you know, and it's strong enough to accomplish the will of heaven. And mm-hmm. so, like, you know, for all she knows, Rochester's still married to Bertha. Yeah. Bertha is not in fuego. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like she's she's just she's still going n- not realizing that anything has changed. That's but true. yet she's been living with Sinjin for this much amount of time and 
and getting these ideas about how religion factors into your life or, you know, the greater purpose. And I, I just found like, she's fine. She's, she's kind of, she's kind of like, I don't know, kind of twisting it to where it's like, you know what? I'm going to make my own sort of happiness, which is what, which is what people should really be doing. <laughs> but yet yeah, to try to, I want her to make herself look good. I don't know. It's hard to describe. I guess the, the way that she's using religion to, you think that she's using it to justify her decision to go see Rochester. Yeah, yeah. Where I almost feel in in the same way that she's using religion, but she's, you know, so far in the past few chapters, she's been listening to Sinjin and hearing the way that he's justifying religion, whereas mm-hmm. now she's like, I'm not going to just listen to him. I need to know what happened to Rochester, and then I can move on. Yeah. So, you know, the, whether or not, Obviously, she can't expect that Bertha would be dead or that anything would have changed. She's she's probably just thinking, I'm going to go see what happened to him, and then I can live my life the way I want to, and I'm sure God would support me in this. That's what, like I said, maybe people should act like that sometimes, where she's mm. been hearing Sinjin say, God wants you to do this, and she's saying, well, you know what? I'm going to do this, and hopefully God is cool with me doing this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely that's true for a lot of people. But yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know if I necessarily think of Jane like trying to manipulate religion to suit her purpose or anything. But I could see that it's sort of a way for her to feel better about herself first. And then she's going to attend to what God might want her to do. Yeah. I mean, she's a pretty headstrong individual. Yes. Yeah. Yes, she just makes this decision to go see Mr. Rochester pretty quickly. Like she, next day she's already packing and she's prepared to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and I find it a little bit funny that, you know, she, I don't know how much Diana and Mary know about Jane's prior relationship with Mr. Rochester and what happened, you know, at Thornfield that made her leave. We know Sinjin knows it, but maybe Jane didn't feel like she wanted to share that with Diana and Mary. Mm. So that now that she's saying that she has to just find out, what happened to a friend of hers and leave that's a seems to be a surprise to to her cousins so wonder you know why why won't she just say oh you know i fell in love with this man and turns out he was married and i had to run away yeah but no is that is is that too much i obviously she's probably in a rush she doesn't have time to have this conversation but it is curious to me to think that i feel like she didn't tell them and they probably don't know this story well and didn't diana already suggest to her that she shouldn't marry sinjin yes and so i'm wondering if like they're not going to be surprised if she just takes off you know just, is it just uh maybe the surprise coming more from the fact that she had this prior relationship this great romance and yeah and she didn't mention it well but i mean she kind of swept into their lives in a in like a fleeting moment Sure. So nobody really knows, you know, they don't really know exactly all of her backstory. Yeah. And so she's just going to leave in just the same manner. She's like Mary Poppins. Yeah. She just sort of comes in and then just leaves. Okay, sure. I could see the comparison. <laughs> she saves Mr. Rivers, I guess. <laughs> but Mr. Rochester, please. Well, yeah. But I mean, but I, yeah, I, I mean, she doesn't really, like I said, she doesn't really wait around Jane. In, in this yeah. entire book. And I've also noticed that she doesn't seem to have a lot of regrets about mm. any of her actions. Yeah. She's very quick and decisive with a lot of stuff. And like, you know that I'm sure she would have written them, you know, would have, would have, would have given them a detailed letter explaining everything. Oh, when she yes. got settled into That's wherever true. it was she was going. Yeah. I'm sure that, that, you know, even though it hasn't happened yet, that she will tell them her whole story because uh, they're very close and she wants to keep her family close to her, I think. 
this is sort of like the origin of the Irish goodbye. Even though it's English, it's like an English goodbye. The air goodbye. Yeah, you just because isn't she of Irish descent or no? Uh, I don't know if that's established. established. The heirs. I don't know if that's an Irish name. You know, but yeah, like I don't, I don't think she needs to 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 justify. You know, leaving. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jane does have a moment before she leaves where she says that she's going to leave to see what happens in Rochester before departing England. Which I was wondering, is she still considering marrying Sinjin? No, I don't think so. No? Yeah. I, would, I mean, I hope not. But the fact that she's considering leaving England is kind of interesting to me. I wonder if she feels like she's had it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit. I mean, she's got money now, right? So yes. She does, and she doesn't really have any roots anywhere. That's the thing that I thought she'd so, she appreciates having Diana and Mary with her. That's That seems funny that she would just decide to leave England unless she just can't take it. It's too close to Mr. Rochester. Well, yeah, and I wonder if maybe, you know, Sinjin got through to her in some regard. Mm-hmm. You know, she wouldn't go with him, but maybe she does feel like there's a chance for a greater good. Or, that's true. I mean, if she has the money, she probably would love to travel. And mm-hmm. why not now, now that she has the means? Yeah, but I still feel like, yeah, I don't think there's anything with Sinjin. I think she's, she's, she's leaving just the way that she left Thornfield. Yeah. You know. She and- realizes that she has nothing to... she does not have any feelings for Sinjin and nothing will happen with that. Yeah. It's the best way you have to escape like mm-hmm. she did before. And like I said, you can't, can't give them a chance. Can't give Rochester or Sinjin a chance to try to talk them out of, talk, talk her out of it. I oh guess. yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's a long journey back to Thornfield and Jane really stretches out the anticipation of reunion in the story, uh, where she finally gets to Thornfield and she, then she tells this little vignette of oh, so, so weird. So weird. <laughs> Of a lover not wanting to wake his beloved, but then finding her dead. So yeah, Jane and Charlotte really building that suspense. Yeah, no doubt. I, you know, I just I feel like Charlotte um, does take her time when she describes certain journeys that mm-hmm. Jane takes in this book, and I love it. I, I talk about there's a, there's a word I've been using all along, and I'll probably use it again this episode, which is vivid. Mm-hmm. And and you know, this is probably the most important journey that she's ever been taken in this whole mm, book. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to why not drag it out as much as possible? You know, it's a little bit agonizing to the reader. Definitely. You know, she just goes into <laughs> such specifics about this this journey. And even when she gets to Thornfield, she's just like, Okay, now I'm on the premises. Yeah. Now I'm at this wall. <laughs> now, you know, it, it kind of reminds me peek behind. Hopefully no one will see me. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the first time she showed up at the Rivers house where she was just like, okay, now, I'm, now I see the light in the house. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a little bit closer. Now I don't see the light. Oh, it's because I, I'm behind a wall. Now I got to <laughs> jump over this wall, you know, and I feel like she did the same thing here. And, you know, the way that last chapter ended where you're like, oh, my God, is she gonna, she's going to go look oh, yeah. for him. And so then it's just paragraph after paragraph of her just building it up. So no, I'll give her credit. It's it, it's definitely a page turner. Yes. And it introduces a little bit more of that gothic mystery suspense that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did want to ask you, like, what was, you know, you probably might remember it better than I do. When you get to this moment in the chapter of your, well, the first time you read it, what was your feelings when Jane looks around the corner and it's actually just a blackened ruin this chart that's yeah it's a gut punch yeah yeah it's a great moment where you're really there is so much anticipation for rochester's return and nope something happened and we got to figure out what happened yeah especially like i said because she's been building it up for all these paragraphs and whatnot yes yeah so so then we have a long talk with the host of the inn and i think it's a great part of the chapter oh you know what i'm gonna i gotta stop you there 
How in the world does that innkeeper know so much? <laughs> hey, I think probably Charlotte has had a lot of experience with gossips in the, in a small village, you know, where there's nothing else to talk about. And, you know, that's a pretty good story to tell for well, anybody in that area. Why did they make it a point of, of mentioning that the inn is called the Rochester Arms, right? Is he somehow related <laughs> or is it... Oh, he owns the land, he, I think. Yeah. And yeah. So, he, so the innkeeper's supposed to know everything, you know. Again, it's vivid. There's that word again. His story is vivid, but it's, it is terribly drawn out. And, oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one moment in particular that I, I want to... I'm going to I'm gonna do chastise Charlotte for... Oh, no. There, you know, and that is... When the innkeeper says that he worked for the late Mr. Rochester. and <laughs> That was uh, mean of Charlotte. I, yeah, I well, agree. it's just that my first thought was there's this term that, that I've heard from my friends who follow wrestling, and it's called cheap heat. <laughs> and I had to look it up because it, it, it's, it's not exactly this, the, there's the same use of the term, but it reminds me of that. And in wrestling terms, you know, you have sort of the good guys and the bad guys in mm-hmm. wrestling, right? And so the bad guys, who are called heels... When they go into, they're in front of an audience, cheap heat is when a bad guy, a heel, will say something negative about the city that they're in. Oh. Because the whole point of the bad guy is that you, you want the crowd to boo you. Uh-huh. You want to be hated in that way if you You lose. want to get a certain reaction. Exactly. And so the, the good guys have the same thing. Though. I think it's called a cheap pop where they oh. say, this is the best city, you know, or <laughs> the, sport, the local sports team is the best. Mm-hmm. And so cheap heat is what I, is a term I always kind of think of when, when I think of some dramatic moments where it's like, okay, he didn't have to phrase it like that. Right. Yeah. He could have said, I worked for Edward Rochester senior, what was Rochester's father's name? You know, exactly. Sure, yeah. You know, but instead he puts that in there just so that you go, what? <laughs> for just a moment. And I'm right. like, all right, that was cheap. And then he corrects himself right immediately. You're like, okay, why even do that? Ah, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it did, it did create a dramatic moment for sure did what you remember the first time you read that and you you know is it because it, it, it's 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 resolved so quickly yeah it would have been so easy to uh to have him say the late mr rochester and then have charlotte or you know jane do like a paragraph two paragraph long inner monologue oh sure detailing she has to all leave these thoughts to, to catch her breath you know oh yes control herself oh my god i have the vapors <laughs> you know but instead it's just like nope his dad. She'd pull a Romeo and Juliet and just kill herself. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the innkeeper's going to, no, 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 her dad, the dad. Uh. Well, yeah, I think that the the reason why this, this part of the chapter where we get to hear the host tell the story to Jane, it's fun because Jane hears her story again, just like when Sinjin recounts her history to her. Mm-hmm. And you can hear a little bit of how the people on the outside see their relationship which you know i didn't really think about and of course you think about a master of a house of a house and a landowner marrying some governess some unknown woman mm. and you're thinking you're gonna think that's, that's a little weird i don't think that's a good uh decision there mr rochester yeah and people didn't seem to like jane or at least this innkeeper seems like he didn't like this little slip of a girl but a queer thing happened about a year ago there was a governess at the hall, and Mr. Rochester fell in love with this governess. But the fire... Yeah, I am coming to that. See, Mr. Rochester fell in love with this governess. He set store on her above everything. Though number Tim thought her handsome. Small, plain little thing, not more than 20. And Mr. Rochester rising 40. But the fire, was it suspected the lunatic had started? Oh, yes, ma'am. Quite certain. You see, she was Mr. Rochester's wife. The wall thought him a bachelor... 
Don't come out when you're tempted to marry this governess. Please. I must know what you mean when you say Mr. Rochester's alive. In a way of speaking. Was he hurt in the fire? Was he... Stone blinded, ma'am. Yeah, I guess it does kind of all boil down to who's telling the story, you know. Mm -hmm. Is the romance taboo or is it heartwarming, you know. You would hope that the innkeeper would be more sympathetic towards Jane because he doesn't know the the whole story. I wonder if, if he did know all everything that jane went through mm-hmm. you know and know jane herself yeah and how she has helped rochester become a better person yeah but apparently the innkeeper knows everything so i don't understand <laughs> how he didn't huh, reminds know. me of people some people in general right yeah making assumptions I, I guess but how he could know every single thing that happened there but yet not know how crazy they were for each other and what a, <laughs> what a nice pair they made even if they were you know 20 years apart and he was also married and, you know, there, there's this part of the story where the innkeeper kind of describes how Rochester is broken down by Jane leaving him. And I think it's just so romantic. Oh, I thought it was romantically <laughs> obvious. Oh. You know, where it was just like, <laughs> oh, okay. Rochester's just so, so just a torn down person. <laughs> like, it was one of, those, one of those weird elements where it's like, apparently the innkeeper is not, he still has not figured out that he's talking to the woman. Oh, yes. No, right? he has not. And so it's another one of those cheap, dramatic moments mm-hmm. where, you know, he ha- the, the third party has to say, oh, man, he really loved that girl. If only, he, <laughs> only that girl was right here, right now for him to be with, you know. And it, what? Yeah. Oh, I'll, I, if I see her, I'll let her know, you know. And it's like, okay. So there's a couple that, that the, 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 the late Mr. Rochester, and then this part was a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, fan service in a way. Yeah, yeah. And so, and speaking of fan service, how about uh, Bertha conveniently dying in the middle of all this? <laughs> well, it had to happen, I guess. You know, Did it? We want to have the happy ending of the story, right? Yeah. So, Bertha dying. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, it's sad, but I have a hard time thinking that there might have ever really been a chance at redemption. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, her death is a little bit too convenient for the two central characters. Yes. yes. You know, and it's really sad when you think about that, how she was stricken with this affliction that she had no control over mm-hmm. in a way. And it almost makes some of Rochester's complaints about her seem a little unfeeling. You know, we mm-hmm. talk about how when you, we did this little March Madness bracket and Bertha wound up winning. And right. I was surprised by that because Helen Burns is the best character in the book. <laughs> And so people were like, oh, Bertha's people are really sympathetic for Bertha and what she went through. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you want to be cheering for, for Rochester and for him to find love. But then it seems like if Bertha couldn't help this. Right. And then, you know, he goes on to say, like, when he first un- uh, unveils her to Jane about, oh, you know, this is my wife and I'm stuck like this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, I'm sorry. But then, <laughs> like I said, there's, I mean, we'll talk about it as we go on with this episode that this is a twist that I was not expecting. You didn't expect that expect Bertha would Bertha die? Would, I, I didn't expect everything to happen like this. Oh, well, sure. You know, but it did seem like, oh, well, that's nice. You know? <laughs> for Rochester? Yeah. In a way, I mean. And for Jane. Some things happened to Rochester he probably didn't appreciate. But yeah. I think that it is, obviously, it's very sad. And yes, she had an affliction that she couldn't help. And, um, you know, at that time, you know, there was really no help for her other than, you know, someone just... Be, just being locked away for her lifetime because they didn't have medicine and they didn't have a good understanding of what she was going through. But but do you think that she might have taken her own life in some other capacity? 
I can imagine that if she's yeah. disturbed enough. Yeah. And in this case, Charlotte had the option. She could have killed Bertha off by maybe just being caught up in the fire, but she had a more poetic and sort of visceral and symbolic death as jumping off the roof of the building. Oh, yeah. Which seems almost very like she's she's finally free or you know this is this is finally a decision that she was able to make mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of ways that you know this could work for her character to help us feel better about the fact that she had to die mm. uh, for the happy ending you know look ma top of the world <laughs> right and then the funny thing is how grace and all of this like, yes. She sets the whole thing in motion, right? I was going to say she had a bottle of gin or oh, something. Oh, well, she... yeah. She she falls asleep at some points. You know, there's that one adaptation of Jane Eyre, the 1996 one with Charlotte Gainsbourg and William Hurt, where Bertha pushes Grace Poole to her death. I don't know if you remember that. Where she falls. Oh. She, she she dies. So you're just, that's a little harsh. I mean, it, yeah. it's a, I guess it's, I don't know if it's a way to show that. Grace Poole had to pay for what she did or her negligence or I guess. Bertha, you're showing that she is really very disturbed. Because I've mentioned how much I respect Grace Poole in this book because she probably has, she has the hardest job of anyone. Uh-huh. And yeah. just does it, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's good, true. I think she does. She's, it's paid a little bit better, but still. <laughs> All right. Now we don't, we don't have to talk about Grace. But yeah, you're right. Jumping off the roof. I, I, it's, jumping off the roof is that last like sort of swan song, swan dive, oh, right. if yeah. you will, yeah. um, to her, her exit, exit from the book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a feature rap on Bertha Mason. <laughs> <laughs> then last thing, the innkeeper in parts, Jane, uh, Rochester is blind and maimed, which I, I wanted to point mm. out can be like a figurative punishment for his attempt at bigamy and treatment of Jane because at that time, Victoria readers had strong moral and ethical convictions so that Rochester needed to be, quote, punished for his moral failings to have this really fitting, happy ending. Yeah, it's crazy. I never would have thought of that. But it does, I guess it does kind of make sense. And do you think it allowed more people to feel self-righteous while enjoying this story? You know, if they had any kind of moral objections to Yeah, where they feel like, well, obviously what he did was wrong and, you know, but he got punished for it. So he's already on his way to being a better man, and we can forgive him. Yeah, like I said, I mean, we've talked about it a lot in this podcast about what were the readers of the time thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, why does this book stand out as much as it does? You know, I mentioned how this book, this chapter takes a lot of turns I wasn't expecting. Right. You know, and to have our our hero, our Byronic hero, mm-hmm. sort of maimed in this way, it, it's... Like, oh, okay, this is Poor not... Miss Rochester. Yeah, like, I was expecting... I hate to bring up her name, Jane Austen. But, like, <laughs> th- this... They ride off into the sunset kind of a thing. Right, you right. Know? And instead, it's like, no, no, you have to pay a penance yes. for, for what you've done. Even if, even if like I said, Bertha died and, and left, left you open, but mm-hmm. it was like you still had impure thoughts about <laughs> the 20-year-old girl, even well, though, while you were still married. Yes. Bigamy is not tolerated by the law at that time. Mm-hmm. And for the interesting context in this chapter, Charlene, don't we have some notes about Rochester losing his sight and his hand? Yes. I thought it was interesting that when Charlotte began writing Jane Eyre, which was August 25th, 1846, close to when we're actually recording this episode, um, but it was the day that her father, Patrick Bronte, had a cataract operation in Manchester. So her father was unable to see for several days after the operation. 
and Charlotte didn't have much to do while she was taking care of her father, so she started writing. But it does uh, seem that Charlotte is using this experience for Rochester. Yet again, another real-life moment depicted <laughs> in the book. Yes, and then the fact that Rochester loses his one eye and one hand, I think it references chapter 27 in the novel, my favorite chapter, where mm. Jane is about to leave Mr. Rochester after having found out that he's married, and she wants to be weak and stay, but... She says, no, you shall tear yourself away. None shall help you. You shall yourself pluck out your right eye. Yourself cut off your right hand. Your heart shall be the victim and you the priest to transfix it. Mm-hmm. Just to impress upon herself that she cannot stay. And that's a biblical reference, right? Yes. So I don't know you're, if you know Matthew. No. <laughs> It's from chapter 5, verse 29 to 30. I have it in my notes here, but I'll have you read it if you want. Oh, okay. Verse 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And then verse 30 says, And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Beautiful, beautiful reading. Uh, But this is the King James Bible uh, translation. So there are some translations that instead of saying that thy whole body should be cast into hell, refers to the body being burned. As Mm. we know, there is a fire at this end of this chapter. So very symbolic Mm. and um, a great... Wait, hold up. Charlotte made a (laughs) biblical reference in Jane Eyre. Well, yes, she is the son of a preacher man. Ah, just like Dusty Springfield. (laughs) Now it is time for our meaningful passage or quote. So, Mike, what is yours? Well, we talked about how vivid the storytelling was from Charlotte when she's describing Jane's trip back to Thornfield and how it slowly but surely pans out across all these paragraphs. And there's one moment as she gets towards the premises where Jane is finally becoming overcome with emotion mm-hmm. as what she, how is she going to react to what, mm-hmm. and she says, quote, could I, but see him, but a moment, surely in that case, I should not be so mad as to run to him. I cannot tell. I am not certain. And if I did, what then God bless him. What then who would be hurt by my once more tasting the life his glance can give me. I rave. Perhaps at this moment, he is watching the sun rise over the Pyrenees or on the tideless sea of the south, mm-hmm. end quote. And I just, I feel like Jane has so many of these emotions just running through her head. And it's it's weird to see her thoughts so scattered, you know. I mean, she's excited to see Thornfield, but also nervous that he might not be there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it seems like throughout this book, she normally has so much more self-control. Yeah. But this is Rochester we're talking about. And <laughs> the it's love just, of her life. Yeah, and it is it is very charming to see her so flustered. Yeah, and it's like kind of making reference to what we talked about earlier about what she was thinking was going to happen when she goes back to see Rochester, you know, with the with the expectation that he's still going to be married and she still can't marry him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then she's still she thinks that she's going to lose control when she's around him after everything she's gone through. Yeah, because she's still been thinking about him the whole time she's been with the Rivers. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like every chapter she's got her own life going on, but then Rochester comes back and gets usually gets a paragraph or two. Mm-hmm. reference and now yeah. now it's about to happen and she's just yeah yeah and 
funnily enough, I picked the same quote. Stop it. Yeah. So <laughs> nice. it's a good choice. I, I just love that, that that passage is so full of love and hope for Jane, where she's kind of not trying not to think too much about the consequences of what she's doing, where she's just, she just needs to see him. Yeah, but does it make it that much more devastating when he's not there and he's physically in- incapacitated? Well, in a way, but also in the way that Jane finds out that he's free. That's uh, not as devastating. Oh, <laughs> so it's good. It's a good news, bad news situation. <laughs> That's sure. That's true. It's a it's a good news in that I get to see you again. It's bad news is maybe you can't see me back. Oh, <laughs> too soon. We'll we'll see. We'll talk more about that next chapter, next episode. The pen penultimate chapter. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. This really helps us grow and reach new listeners. If you want to talk Jane Eyre with me online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at AirGuide. That's E-Y-R-E. And if you want to hear more from me, I host my own podcast called Out of Touchstone, where my good friend Chad and I discuss all the films that Disney produced for their Touchstone Pictures label. You can also find me on Twitter at Mike DeKalb. Thank you and farewell for the present.